Welcome to Darren Daily On Demand, your most trusted resource to help you become better every day. We're in the midst of a special 11-part series that Darren created to help you design the best year of your life. If you missed any previous episodes, be sure to go back and catch up. To help you execute on all these ideas, be sure to pick up a copy of Darren's Living Your Best Year Ever, a proven system to achieving big goals journal and achievement management system. Just go to livingyourbestyearever.com. Now here's your success mentor, Darren Hardy. Developing a support system for excellence. The purpose of this additional training is to awaken ourselves to the many influences that can push us off course. In the preceding sessions, I will discuss three of the most powerful influences that affect our life and our ability to stay the course in achieving our cherished goals. The path toward achieving your goals is littered with a minefield of powerful external influences. Most of us aren't even aware of the subtle control these forces have on our lives. For you to sustain your positive trajectory towards your goals, you'll need to understand these influences and learn how they can support rather than derail you on your journey towards success. Everyone is affected by three kinds of influences. One, your environment, your surroundings. Two, input, what gets fed into your head. And three, associations, the people with whom you surround yourself. The improper understanding and management of these influences can have devastating consequences on your life. At the same time, if you learn how to channel these forces in your favor, they can give you a magnificent advantage over everyone else around you, including your former self. I have written about these influences before, so I will pull from some of those training notes and discuss them with you here. Let's start off with the easiest, or I will say least dangerous, of the three influences that will help or hinder you being able to achieve your big, hairy, audacious goals. Your environment. When I was in real estate working in the East Bay of San Francisco, I lived and worked within a very limited geography and demographic. I saw the same kinds of people operating at the same level over and over and over. I knew that I needed to find an elevated circle of associations in order to go where I wanted to go. My environment was limiting me. I started to drive across the bay to one of the richest and most beautiful spots on the planet, Tiburon in Marin County, north of San Francisco. If you've ever been to Monaco, that's what Tiburon looks like, but far quainter. It's a spectacular spot. I would go to a delightful seafood restaurant called Sam's on the Wharf. The food was great, but more importantly, the restaurant was popular with the area's more affluent residents. Aside from going to Sam's to expand my environment, I'd also go to the wharf and then look up at the hillside. I was mesmerized by the multi-million dollar houses that literally hung off the cliffs. One in particular always caught my eye, a blue four-story home with an elevator and a whale lightning rod at the top. I used to ask myself, what would be the perfect house? If someone could give me just one of them, which one would I pick? The answer was always the same, this big, beautiful blue one. It was in the perfect spot with a bright vista, the best of the bunch. On my way home from a Sam's visit one morning, I saw an open house sign and thought it would be fun to check it out. One sign led to another as I followed them zigzagging up the cliffs along narrow streets. I finally reached the top of the hill and found the advertised home. As I entered and walked up to a spectacular bay window, the world opened up in front of me. The peninsula tip of Tiburon, Angel Island across the bay, Berkeley and the East Bay and the Bay Bridge and the entire city San Francisco skyline over to the Golden Gate Bridge in a 300-degree expanse. I walked out onto the balcony and looked around. Suddenly, I realized that this was the very house I had been looking at for years. This was the blue house. I signed the contract on the spot. My dream house was now mine. And who says goal setting doesn't work? 
I can't really say that I met anybody at Sam's who changed my life. However, that environment had a powerful effect on me. Seeing those homes up on the cliff fueled my ambition and expanded my dreams. I ended up working harder than I ever thought possible to make those dreams come true. And they did. The dream in your heart may be bigger than the environment in which you find yourself. Sometimes you have to get out of that environment to see that dream fulfilled. It's like planting an oak sapling in a pot. Once it becomes root-bound, its growth is limited. It needs a great space to become a mighty oak. So do you. When I talk about your environment, I'm not just referring to where you live. I'm referring to what surrounds you. Creating a positive environment to support your success means clearing out all the clutter in your life. Not just the physical clutter that makes it hard for you to work productively and efficiently, although that's important too, but also the psychic clutter of whatever around you isn't working, whatever's broken, whatever makes you cringe. Each and every incomplete thing in your life exerts a draining force on you, sucking the energy of accomplishment and success out of you as surely as a vampire stealing your blood. Every incomplete promise, commitment, and agreement saps your strength because it blocks your momentum and inhibits your ability to move forward. Incomplete tasks keep calling you back to the past to take care of them. So think about what you can complete today. Additionally, when you're creating an environment to support your goals, remember that you get in life what you tolerate. This is true in every area of your life, particularly with your relationships with family, friends, and colleagues. What you have decided to tolerate is also reflected in the situations and circumstance of your life right now. Put another way, you will get in life what you accept and expect you are worthy of. If you tolerate disrespect, you will be disrespected. If you tolerate people being late and making you wait, people will show up late for you. If you tolerate being underpaid and overworked, that will continue for you. If you tolerate your body being overweight, tired, and perpetually sick, it will be. It's amazing how life will organize around the standards you set for yourself. Some people think they're victims of other people's behavior, but in actuality, we have control over how people treat us. It is up to you to protect your emotional, mental, and physical space so you can live with peace rather than in the chaos and stress the world will hurl upon you. Okay, so are you with me? Are you ready to do some spring cleaning in your environment, the one you live in and the one that lives in your head? Well, then first off, I urge you to leave the five square miles that surrounds your home. Hang out in the places where the people who have the life you are looking to grow into hang out every once in a while. It has an intoxicating effect on your creative drive. Here's influence number two, and it's a big one. Input, garbage in, garbage out. If you want your body to run at peak performance, you've gotta be vigilant about consuming the highest quality nutrients and avoiding tempting junk food. If you want your brain to perform at its peak, you've gotta be even more vigilant about what you feed it. Are you feeding it shocking and salacious news headlines or lewd and mind-numbing sitcoms? Are you reading trash celebrity tabloids? Controlling the input has a direct and measurable impact on your productivity and outcomes. Controlling what our brains consume is especially difficult because so much of what we take in is unconscious. Although it's true we can eat without thinking, it is easier to pay attention to what we put in our bodies because food doesn't just leap into our mouths. We need an extra level of vigilance to prevent our brains from absorbing irrelevant, counterproductive, or downright destructive input. It is a never-ending battle to be selective and to stand guard against any information that can derail your creative potential. Here is a startling fact. Your brain is not designed to make you happy. Does that surprise you? It does most people. No, your brain has only one job, survival. Its only care is to keep you alive. 
It is always watching for signs of what is called lack and attack. Your brain is programmed to seek out the negative, danger, threat, alarm, terror, and harm, whatever is out to potentially hurt you. So when you switch on the radio on the way to work and get bombarded with all the reports about murders, robberies, fires, attacks, scandals, the tanking economy, etc., your brain lights up like a Christmas tree. And now it will spend all day chewing over that feast of fear, worry, and negativity. Same deal when you tune into the evening news after work. More bad news? Perfect. Your mind will stew on that all night long. Left to its own devices, your mind will traffic in the negative, worrisome, and fearful all day and all night. We can't change our DNA, but we can change our behavior. Here is one big key to understand. Where your attention goes, so goes your life. What controls our focus controls our life. Because where our focus goes, energy flows, so goes the direction of our life. I remember when we interviewed Mario Andretti for his feature in Success. I asked, what is your greatest tip to being a successful race car driver? He said, never look at the wall. He said, wherever your eyes go, your car follows. Living in San Diego, I know that this is also true about surfing. You are taught to point your eyes in the direction you want your board to go. If you are a tightrope walker, what is the one thing you never do? Look down, right? Your body will follow your eyes. That is why you have to be supremely careful about where you point your eyes. You get in life what you create. That's easy enough to understand. We are all creative and productive beings, and our life is a result of all that we've created. You create, then, what you expect. Expectation manifests into creation. What you expect to happen is what your creative capacity goes to work on producing. So let me pause here and add emphasis to this area of expectation. How you create what you expect. It has been scientifically proven that placebos are about 55 to 60% as effective as the most active medications like aspirin or codeine for controlling pain, simply because people expect them to be. There is also what's known as the opposite placebo effect. There was an interesting study done in Japan where they blindfolded students and then told the students that their right arms were being rubbed with a poison ivy plant. Afterwards, all the students reacted with classic symptoms of poison ivy itching, boils, and redness. But only a harmless shrub was actually used. On the other arm, actual poison ivy was used, but they were told it was only a harmless shrub. Only two of the 13 students broke out with poison ivy symptoms. Incredible, isn't it? This is what psychologists call expectant theory. Expectations that the brain creates can be as real as those created by events in the real world. Expectation causes the same complex set of neurons to fire as though the events were actually taking place, triggering a cascade of events in the nervous system that leads to a whole host of real physical consequences. Here's another fascinating study that was done at Yale University. They told one group of house cleaners that the activities of their normal job burned calories, like a cardio workout, and the other group, they did not share this little-known fact. Several weeks later, the first group actually lost weight and lowered their cholesterol. The other group did not. The mental construct of our daily activities, more than the activity itself, defines our reality. This is why the more you believe in your ability to succeed, the more likely it is that you will, and it is proven scientifically. Believe you are a good salesperson and your sales will go up. Believe otherwise and they will go down. I can tell you this was one of the greatest secrets of the success of the multi-billion dollar producer, Paul J. Meyer. During one of our recorded interviews, this is how he explained his secret verbatim. Quote, I am kind of what you would call an inverted paranoid. I just believe everybody in the world is out to get me and help me do whatever I want to do. 
I think everybody wants to be my partner. Everybody wants to be my customer. When I walk up to a door, I visualize a red carpet rolled out and two trumpeteers standing on each side. And the person inside is wanting to do business with me because he not only wants to buy for me, he wants to be my friend. You know, there's amazing power in positive expectancy. I saw this mindset play out in Paul's life over and over again. I have used this model for my own life with equally stunning results. I recommend it to you. This is also why you have to protect with a vengeance those factors that influence your expectation. So then, what influences or drives your expectation? You expect what you think about. As the wise saying goes, if your thinking is stinking, so will your life. So let's talk about it. What does determine what you think about then? The input you get. This is the foundational source that activates and drives your entire creation process. Let me give you an extreme example of how influential the input of intangible images and information you feed your eyes and ears can manifest on you physically. During the tragedies of September 11th, 2001, there were people all over the U.S. from small towns in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and South Dakota, who didn't even know anyone who lived in New York or had even been to New York themselves, but they had to be medically treated for post-traumatic stress disorder simply because they watched the images of the World Trade Centers falling over and over and over again on television. They had no personal connection or involvement, but simply by the repeated input of those images, they were affected physically their biochemistry, and their nervous system becoming sick and needing to be medically treated. While maybe not as dramatic, this is the same kind of outcome and influence the input you expose yourself to day in and day out has on your life. Oh, and by the way, you do it to yourself. Do you realize that? No one has locked you up forcing you to watch morning news, read the newspaper, listen to drive time radio, or watch the 10 o'clock news before you go to bed. All that garbage that is dispensed into your ears and in front of your eyes happens because of what you put your head in front of. You are doing it to yourself. Here's another way to understand this. Your mind is like an empty glass. It'll hold anything that you put into it. It is simply an empty vessel. It'll hold Coca-Cola, cyanide, fresh squeezed orange juice, or mother's milk. It doesn't judge or filter what you put into it. It simply holds it. You put in sensational news, salacious headlines, talk show rants. It's like pouring dirty water into your glass. Now, if you've got dark, dismal, worrisome water in your glass, everything you create will be filtered through that muddy mess because that's what you'll be thinking about. Garbage in, garbage out. All that drive-time radio yak about murders, conspiracies, deaths, the economy, political battles drives your thinking process, which drives your expectations, which drives your creative output. That is bad news. But just like a dirty glass, how do you clean it if you can't just pour it out? You can run it under a faucet and flush it with clean, clear water. If you run the clean water long enough, eventually you'll end up with a glass of pure, clear water. What is that clear water? It is positive, inspirational, and supportive input and ideas. Stories of aspiration and inspiration. People who, despite challenges, are overcoming obstacles and achieving great things. Strategies of success, prosperity, health, love, and joy. Ideas to create more abundance, to grow, expand, and become more. Examples and stories of what's good, right, and possible in the world. That is also why I read something inspirational and instructional for 30 minutes in the morning and in the evening and have personal development CDs playing while I'm in the car. I am flushing my glass and feeding my mind. Does this give me an edge over the guy who gets up and first thing reads the newspaper, listens to the news radio on his commute to and from work and watches the evening news before going to bed? You bet it does. And it can for you too. 
So there are two ways to manage your mind for excellence. The first one is protect. Stand guard at the doorway of your mind. Unless you decide to hole up in a cave or on a desert island, you're going to get dirty water in your glass. It's going to be on billboards, on CNN while you're walking through the airport, on screaming tabloid headlines at the checkout when you're buying your groceries, etc. Even your friends, family, and your own negative mental tapes can flood dirty water into your glass. But that doesn't mean you can't take steps to limit your exposure to all that grime. Maybe you can't avoid the tabloids stacked up at the checkout register, but you can cancel your subscription. You can refuse to listen to the radio to and from work and instead put in an instructional and inspirational CD. You can turn off the evening news and talk to your loved ones instead. You can buy a DVR and record only those programs you feel are truly educational and life-affirming. And then speed through the commercials aimed at making you feel inadequate or lacking unless you buy more crap. Let me give you a few suggestions on how to better control the information you let into your head and still manage your life. Here's number one. I want to show you how you can completely change the world in an instant. This might be a bit controversial for many and even more won't have the stomach to do what I'm suggesting. You can rid the world of all wars, crimes, scandals, gossip, corruption, international conflict in an instant. No joke. You have that much power in the palm of your hand. Are you ready to change the world? If you dare, hit the off button. Turn off your TV, turn off your radio, turn off your newspaper subscription. The media thrives on taking us hostage. Have you ever been stuck on a freeway with traffic backed up for miles, making you late, wondering what the heck's holding everything up? Sure enough, when you finally get close, you see that nothing physical is blocking the flow of cars. The wreck clearly happened a while ago and has since been moved to the side of the freeway. The three mile per hour crawl was caused by people doing what? Rubbernecking. Now you're really irritated, but what happens when your car passes the wreck? You slow way down, take your eyes off the road in front of you, and crane your own neck. You can't help it, can you? Why do good, decent people want to see something tragic and maybe grotesque? It is our genetic heritage, going back to our prehistoric sense of self-preservation. We just can't help ourselves, even if we're adept at avoiding negativity and we've trained ourselves to be relentlessly positive. When it comes to sensationalism, our basic nature cannot resist. Media masters understand this. They know your nature in many ways better than you. The media has always used shocking and sensational headlines to draw attention. But today, instead of just three TV and news radio networks, there are hundreds running 24-7. Instead of just a few newspapers, there are endless portals reaching us from our computers to our phones. The competition for your attention has never been bloodier and the media jockeys continually up the ante in shock value. They find a dozen or so of the most heinous, scandalous, criminal, murderous, bleak, and horrid things that happen in the world each day and parade them through our papers, news channels, and over the web over and over. Meanwhile, during that same 24-hour period, millions of wonderful, beautiful, incredible things have happened, yet we hear very little about them. Why? Because it is the shock that sells. Let's go back to our freeway. Instead of a wreck on the side of the road, what if there was the most stunning, miraculous sunset you've ever seen? What would happen to the traffic then? I've seen this many times. It just whizzes by at top speed. The great danger of the media is that it gives us a very perverted view of the world. Because the focus and the repetition of messaging is on the negative, 
That's what our minds start believing. This warped and narrow view of what's not working has a severe influence on your creative potential. It can be crippling. Here's the controversial part. Early on, I learned the difference between the world and my world. I only pay attention to my world. After all, it's the only thing I could do anything about. Paying too much attention to the rest of it only makes me feel fearful, frustrated, and cynical. All I have in my life is my attention. Where I give my attention, so goes my life. I have to make a choice about where I give it. That choice affects my experience of life and determines my potential for positive creativity. I can focus it on the worst of the world or the best. I can focus it on things I can't do anything about, or I can focus it on those things that I can and that have a direct impact on my life and my family. And I can tell you this practice has not limited my intellectual capacity, my social banter, or my financial opportunities. In fact, it has benefited me immensely in all those areas. If you don't have the stomach for that kind of cold turkey cord cutting, consider the next suggestion. Suggestion number two, selective listening. I set up RSS feeds to pull information on specifically what I do need to stay on top of for my productive purposes. I register for newsletters or blog updates on topics and subjects that are relevant to my objectives. Once they become unproductive, I unsubscribe. Does this make you not well-rounded, you ask? There's no such thing. We are always scanning the world for what is relevant to us. I just don't think it's necessary to pick through the trash can looking for a crust of bread when I can have the bread I want delivered to my doorstep. I also don't get the trash on me or in my head. Here's suggestion number three. Go on a diet. A low information diet, that is. If you aren't comfortable getting only the most productive and relevant information you need to be more successful, then at least put yourself on a low info diet. Limit your intake of news and information. You don't need to be tied to every Wall Street Journal financial crisis text update. You don't need to be up on all the local news crime status. The world will go on just fine without your constant watchful eye. Trust me. If you must, find 15 minutes a day to catch up on all the national and world news updates, whether through a favorite news aggregator online, newspaper, or single radio program. Then don't overconsume. It's riddled with toxic ingredients. Here is a fourth suggestion that will lead us to the second way to manage your mind for excellence. Suggestion number four, mind your E to E ratio. I interviewed Brian Tracy recently. He had a great equation that I'd like to share with you. I asked him, what is the primary difference between the 5% who are wealthy and those that are not? He said the 95% focus their attention and extra time on entertainment, while the 5% look to spend their extra time on education. Evaluate yourself. How much time do you spend on entertainment and how much time on education? The imbalance of this equation could be the reason your life isn't where you want it to be. Let me challenge you with something. Most people go through life like spectators, resolved to live vicariously through other people's achievements. I've always found it fascinating and downright baffling why people spend so much time studying and discussing the statistics, wins, losses, trades, and career moves of sports stars and actors and actresses. If they spent half as much time studying their own statistics and exercise the same fanatical enthusiasm about their own life's competitions, it would be them living the victorious life. Instead, they abdicate their own life, goals, and ambitions, allocating their precious time to revering the achievements of other men and women, people who, if they met in an alley, would probably not slow their pace to offer their signature. I'm simply prodding you with the thought to get out of the bleachers and off the couch and get in the game. Spend the majority of your time on the field of your life 
and focus all of your life force on your victories and the victories of the people around you in the real world, not the world portrayed on the big screens and the little screens of movies and TV. Look, a little entertainment, a break from your conquests out in the marketplace is fine. That is what the other E in the E to E ratio stands for. I'm just proposing you don't get too wrapped up in the chronicles, gossip, and media titillations of these people's careers and lives. Care more about your life, stats, victories, and defeats than other people's. Did you know that it's estimated that Americans, 12 and older, spend 1,704 hours watching TV per year? That averages out to 4.7 hours per day. We're spending almost 30% of our waking hours watching TV, almost 33 hours per week, more than one whole day per week. It is the equivalent of watching TV for two solid months out of every 12. Wow. And people wonder why they're not getting ahead in life. So if you do click that off button, what then? What do you do with all this extra time? <laughs> now let's look at the second way to manage your mind for excellence. One is to protect it and two is to feed it. If you want to think differently, you have to feed your mind the thoughts, ideas, and inspiration it needs to help you achieve your ambitions and goals. Your mind needs a regular diet of nutrient-rich food, bread for the head, as Jim Rohn calls it. I consider the feeding of my mind like a race. I want to feed my mind faster, more often, and with the best possible training, knowledge, and insights than anyone else around me. I'm looking to feed my mind at absolutely every opportunity. 10 minutes here, 30 minutes there, an extra hour early in the morning or late at night. Minute by minute, I can feel myself inching further ahead of my contemporaries until I'm not even visible to them on the distant horizon. Here's one practice that stacks on the hours and gets me miles ahead, literally. My car won't move without two things, gasoline, and an ever-present library of instructional CDs that I listen to as I drive around. As a society, we average about 12,000 miles a year. That's 300 hours of feeding time, baby. Brian Tracy taught me early in life to turn my car into a mobile classroom. He explained that if you listen to instructional CDs as you drive, each year is the equivalent of two semesters of an advanced degree in college. Think about it. In the time you are already spending, you could obtain a PhD in leadership, sales success, wealth building, relationship excellence, whatever course, CD program you sign up for. This combined with a regular reading routine and you could separate yourself from the herd of average, CD by CD, book by book. The key is to choose your input wisely, maximize your time, education, and ultimately your success by feeding your brain the information it needs to help you achieve your goals. I'll tell you, I'm listening to instructional content while I run, Weight train, walk the dogs, anytime my body is busy but my mind is free, it's feeding time, baby. Here's a simple plan that you can do no matter how busy you currently are in life but can still get your mind flushed and fed every single day without fail. It's called the 1030 plan. Simply put, every day, work day, you can take the weekends off if you must. We wouldn't want you to be overly personally developed or anything. Read 10 pages of a good book or magazine and listen to 30 minutes of an instructional audio. My recommendation is, say five pages in the morning when you first get up and five pages in the evening just before you go to bed. This will calibrate your head at the two most important bookends of your day. It will set your head straight in the morning, thinking about what's positive and what's possible, and fill your head full of ideas, dreams, and aspirations to work on all night long as you sleep. I'm a bit of an overachiever, so instead of just five pages, I read for 30 minutes in the morning when I first get up and 30 minutes just before lights out. 
No less, no more. So, does that give me an advantage? You bet it does. Remember, it's a race. This is an easy rhythm that I really enjoy and have come to rely on. Now, the 30 minutes of instructional audio will happen naturally if every time you drive around, go for a walk or run or walk the dogs or exercise, you are listening to instructional audios. When you do it is up to you. But without spending a single minute more than the activities you're already engaged in every day, you can get the 30 minutes of an instructional audio consumed and probably then some. Sounds simple enough? It really is and will be what it takes to become the person who would achieve your goals and who would deserve them. Now, let me paint you a picture mathematically of the results this simple discipline and dedication to the 1030 plan can have in your life. Brian Tracy outlined this in his book called Focal Point about how to improve in any area of your life by a thousand percent. No, not 10% or even 100%, but a thousand percent. Let me detail it for you here. All you have to do is improve yourself, your performance, and your output and earnings by one-tenth of one percent each workday. That's one one-thousandth. Do you think you could do that? Of course, anyone could do that. It's simply a matter of staying consistent with your 1030 plan and practicing the new ideas you learn in your life each day. Simple. Do it each workday of the week and you'll improve by a half a percent each week. Translation, not much. Equaling 2% each month, which compounded adds up to 26% each year. Again, no overnight success story here. Your income now doubles each 2.9 years. By year 10, you can be performing and earning a thousand percent of what you are now. Isn't that amazing? Do you want to have a thousand percent more money in the bank 10 years from now than you do now? Or how about improving your marriage, the positive influence and connection with your kids, your leadership ability, your sales skills, your presentation skills, your health and vitality, whichever you choose to give energy by a thousand percent. The spectacular part of all of this is you don't have to put in a thousand percent more effort or work a thousand percent more hours, just one tenth of one percent improvement each day. That's it. All achieved by practicing the rhythm of the 1030 plan. So are you going to do it? 10 pages of a good book or magazine, one in particular I recommend, and 30 minutes of an instructional audio per day. When I had lunch with Donnie Deutsch one time, I asked him, after interviewing hundreds of successful entrepreneurs and being one himself, what he thought the number one principle to success was. This was his answer. He said, the most important thing I say is, are you learning every day? Are you growing every day? Are you being challenged every day? That is the key to success. The day that stops happening, the world's going to turn in the wrong direction for you. So are you convinced? I sure hope so. Hey, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom here. Or as the story in the beginning told, I'm sending the rowboat, the powerboat, and the helicopter here. Just get on board. And here's the third potentially disastrous or magnificent influence you must be extremely diligent about. This one I might suggest as the most insidious because it is so powerful yet so subtle. Subtle and powerful are two dangerous combinations. What is this third influence? Your associations. Who is influencing you? Have you ever been walking with someone and then suddenly realized you are walking much slower than you normally walk to match their stride? Have you ever had the opposite experience where you found yourself walking at a much faster clip just to keep up with the person you're walking with? This is what happens in our lives. We end up matching the pace of the people around us. So, who do you spend most time with? Who are the people you most admire? Are those two groups of people exactly the same? If not, why not? Jim Rohn taught that we become the combined average of the five people we hang around the most. 
Roan would say, we can tell the quality of our health, attitude, and income by looking at the people around us. The people with whom we spend our time determine what conversations dominate our attention, to which attitudes and opinions we are regularly exposed. Eventually, we start to eat what they eat, talk like they talk, read what they read, think like they think, watch what they watch, and treat people how they treat them, even dress like they dress. The funny thing is, more often than not, we are completely unaware of the similarities between us and our circle of five. How are we not aware, you ask? Because your associations don't shove you in a direction, they nudge you ever so slightly over time. Their influence is so subtle that it's like being on an inner tube out in the ocean, feeling like you're floating in place until you look up and realize the gentle current has pushed you a half mile down the shore. Think of having friends who order greasy appetizers or a cocktail before dinner, and that's their routine, as is treating themselves to an after-dinner drink. Hang out with them long enough and you'll find yourself grabbing for the cheese nachos and the potato skins and joining them for that extra beer or glass of wine matching their pace. Meanwhile, your other friends order healthy food, talk about the inspiring books they're reading and their ambitions in their business, and you begin to assimilate their behaviors and habits. You read and talk about what they talk about, you see the movies they're excited about, you go to the places they recommend. The influence your friends have over you is subtle and can be positive or negative. Either way, the impact is incredibly powerful. Watch out. You cannot hang out with negative people and expect to have a positive life. The people with whom you habitually associate are called your reference group. According to research by social psychologist Dr. David McClellan of Harvard, your reference group determines as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. He concluded that our choice of a reference group, the people with whom you truly associate, was more important in determining your success or failure than any other single factor. Zig Ziglar puts it even simpler. He says, if you want to fly with the eagles, you can't continue to scratch with the turkeys. So then, let's evaluate. What is the combined average income, health, or attitudes of the five people you spend the most of your time with? Does that answer frighten you? If so, the best way to increase your potential for whatever traits you desire is to spend the majority of your time with people who already possess those traits. You will then see the power of influence work for you rather than against you. The behaviors and attitudes which help them acquire the success you admire will begin to become part of your daily routine. Hang out with them long enough and you're likely to realize similar success outcomes in your life. Here's how Kathy Ireland put it when we interviewed her for success. Kathy, by the way, is an incredibly impressive entrepreneur who stepped out of a modeling career and created a $1.4 billion retail sales brand. She said it this way, do you surround yourself with anchors or engines? In life, there are engines who propel us forward, believe in us and are supportive. And then there are anchors who weigh everything down. I think it's important to stop and think, are you surrounding yourself with anchors or engines? Are you an anchor or an engine? Great advice, Kathy. Okay, so if you haven't already, jot down the names of those five people you hang around the most. Also, write down their main characteristics, both positive and negative. It doesn't matter who they are. It could be your spouse, your brother, your neighbor, or your assistant. Now, average them out. What's their average health and bank balance? What's their average relationship like? As you look at the results, ask yourself, is this list okay for me? Is this where I want to go? It may be time to reappraise and reprioritize the people whom you spend time with. These relationships can nurture you, starve you, or keep you stuck. 
Now that you've started to carefully consider with whom you are spending your time, let's go a little deeper. As Jim Rohn taught me, it's powerful to evaluate and shift your associations into three categories, disassociations, limited associations, and expanded associations. All right, let's start with disassociations. You guard against the influences your children are exposed to and the people they hang around. You're aware of the influences these people could have on your children and the choices they make as a result. I believe this same principle should apply to you. You already know this. There are some people you might need to break away from completely. This might not be an easy step to take, but it's essential. You have to make the hard choice not to let certain negative influences affect you anymore. Determine the quality of life that you want to have and then surround yourself with the people who represent and support that vision. I'm constantly weeding out of my life people who refuse to grow and live positively. Growing and changing your associations is a lifelong process. Some people might say I'm too rigorous about it, but I'd like to be even more so. I had a business relationship with someone that I really liked, but when the economy got difficult, most of his conversation was focused on how horrible things were, how much his company was feeling the hit, and how hard it was out there. I said, man, you got to stop working on your presentation about how bad life is. I can hear you collecting all the data points to reinforce your beliefs. He persisted in seeing everything as more dour and hopeless than it was, and I decided we had no business doing business together any longer. When you make the tough decision to put up boundaries between you and the people who drag you down, realize that they'll fight you, especially those closest to you. Your decision to live a more positive, goal-oriented life will be a mirror to their own poor choices. You will make them uncomfortable and they will attempt to pull you back down to their level. Next, limited associations. There are some people who you can spend three hours with, but not three days. Others you can spend three minutes with, but not three hours. Always remember that the influence of associations is both powerful and subtle. The person you're walking with can determine whether you slow your pace or quicken it, literally and figuratively. Additionally, you can't help but be touched by the dominant attitudes, actions, and behaviors of the people whom you spend time with. Decide how much you can afford to be influenced based on how those people represent themselves. This is difficult, I know. I've had to do this on several occasions, even with close family members. I will not, however, allow someone else's actions or attitudes to have a dampening influence on me. I've got a neighbor who is a three-minute friend. For three minutes, we can have a great chit-chat, but we wouldn't mesh for three hours. I can hang out with an old high school friend for about three hours, but he's not a three-day guy. And then there are some people I can hang out with for a few days, but I wouldn't go on an extended vacation with them. Take a look at your own relationships and be sure that you're not spending three hours with a three-minute person. While we're in the midst of discussing the associations of people in your life and their effect on you and the energy you need to accomplish your goals, I'd like to offer you what I think is some really excellent counsel. How do I know this is excellent counsel, you ask? Because I've not done this in the past and had to learn this the hard way. Here it is. Be careful whom you share your goals with. Void of a few people in your life, everyone else will either be indifferent, truly not really caring about your goals, dreams, and ambitions. Hey, they don't have enough passion and energy for their own. And others, many close to you, actually want you to fail. I know this sounds crazy, and they don't do it consciously per se, but when you declare you're going to change your life and go for a big goal that will take you out of their herd and ahead of your friends, family, or existing peers, they will resent you. There is a great saying to keep in mind as you move from ordinary to extraordinary. The less you are like others, the less others will like you. Let that be just fine with you. But what is important to realize is that it's not about you at all. It's about them. 
They are not resentful of you, really. They are resentful of themselves. They are resentful of their own inner voice that prods them to the fact that they should be doing more, stepping out, taking risks, and going for bigger goals in life like you. There's a story I heard about a type of crab that cannot be caught. It is agile and clever enough to get out of any crab trap. And yet, these crabs are caught by the thousands every day, thanks to a particular human-like trait they possess. The trap is a wire cage with a hole at the top. Bait is placed in the cage and the cage is lowered into the water. One crab comes along, enters the cage, and begins munching on the bait. A second crab joins him. A third, crab thanksgiving, yum! Eventually, however, all the bait is gone. The crabs could easily climb up the side of the cage and through the hole, but they do not. They stay in the cage. Other crabs come along and join them long after the bait is gone. Now, should one of the crabs realize there's no further reason to stay in the trap and attempt to leave, the other crabs will gang up on him and stop him. They will repeatedly pull him off the side of the cage. If he persists, the others will tear off his claws to keep him from climbing. If he persists still, they will kill him. The crabs, by force of the majority, stay together in the cage. The cage is hauled up and it's dinner time on the pier. The chief difference between these crabs and humans is these crabs live in water and humans on land. Anyone who has a dream, one that might get them out of what they might perceive to be a trap, had best beware of the fellow inhabitants of the trap. Now, the people around you don't usually use physical force, although they are not certainly above it. They generally don't need it, however. They have more effective methods at hand and in mouth. Innuendo, doubt, ridicule, derision, mockery, sarcasm, scorn, sneering, belittlement, humiliation, jeering, taunting, teasing, lying, and dozens of other tactics they can use to pull off your claws or kill your dreams. This is why you want to keep the crabs around you away from your goals. Here's a great quote from Gandhi that I try to remember as I climb the mountain of my big goals. He said, first, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win. I like that. I can hear you asking, why would these people who purport to love and want the best for me, why would they want to keep me in the cage? Well, a couple of distinct reasons, I think. One, they simply aren't as courageous as you. They cannot get over the idea of leaving the security of familiarity, what they've become used to and are comfortable with. To set an ambitious goal is outside that familiar comfort zone. You have to step away from the herd of mediocrity and venture out on your own into the unknown. Most people are simply not courageous enough to do that. What you are doing just doesn't fit their model of the world, so they're going to be communicating their foreboding warnings from that vantage point. Love them anyway, but don't let them drag you back into the pack of mediocrity. Two, you make them look bad. You are a giant exposing mirror to them. Your actions are being reflected back to them. They know they should be doing what you're doing, but they're afraid. By you doing it, it makes them look bad for not doing it themselves. Instead of borrowing from your strength and joining you, it's easier for them to make fun of you, try to convince you why what you are doing is dumb, stupid, bad, or foolish in the hopes that you will give up and come back to the pack so they can no longer look at you and feel bad about themselves. It is important to realize their comments are saying more about them and their fears being kicked up by your leaving the herd than it is about you and what you're doing. Love them anyway, but don't let them drag you back into the pack of mediocrity. There's an article a former colleague of mine in a prior venture, Jeff Olson, shared with me. This really changed my view of how important other people's opinions should be to me. 
This article revealed that at a funeral, an average of about 10 people will care enough to cry. I thought, what? You mean I can work hard all my life trying to please others, and then in the end, only 10 people will care enough to cry? It gets worse. The article found that the number one thing that will determine the number of people who will go to the burial site with the funeral procession is the weather. It was found that if it's raining, more than 50% will not go to the burial site. I find this horrifying, actually. It's not how you live your life that will be the number one determinant. The circumstances of the weather will outrank your entire life's existence. When I heard that, my entire perspective on living for other people's favor or approval changed. Right then and there, I no longer cared what other people thought of me or whether they approved of me or what I was doing. Their rejection no longer had any power particularly if I thought they wouldn't even be one of the 10 who would cry. Many times before making a prospecting call or after one where I was rejected, I would ask myself, would this person cry at my funeral? And most of the time, the answer was, I doubt they would even walk across the street to even go. Why do I care what they think? That is a very liberating way to think of it. And the truth. We spend so much of our lives worrying about being rejected by other people. And most of these people probably won't even come to your funeral. If they do, they probably won't cry. And if they do, and it's raining, they will probably drop out of the funeral procession altogether. I pass this important perspective forward to you. Don't let people who don't matter, matter. Steve Jobs said something beautiful in his commencement speech to the 2005 graduating class of Stanford University, which was just a year after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and given three to six months to live, which he beat, of course. Let me pass it forward to you here. He said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice, heart, and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Okay, let's move on to the type of associations that can propel you forward, actually assist you in achieving your big, hairy, audacious goals, and those are expanded associations. We've talked about weeding out the negative influences. While you're knocking those off who can hold you down, you also want to expand your associations out to those who can pull you up. Identify people who have positive qualities in the areas of life where you want to improve. People with the financial and business success you desire. The parenting skills you want. The relationships you yearn for. The lifestyle you love. And then spend more time with them. Join organizations and businesses and health clubs where these people gather and make friends. Before we leave this section, I have to share a story about the legendary UCLA basketball coach John Wooden and his theory of five. John was famous for instructing his protégés to take out a piece of paper and draw two lines down the page to create three columns. Try this for yourself. At the top of one column, write the five people you spend the most time with in your professional life. Those you go out to lunch with, hang out with after work, play golf with, whatever. The second one, the five people you spend the most time with in your personal life go out to dinner with, have over to the house, vacation with, etc. The third is the five most influential acquaintances or partners in service, those you associate with at church, service clubs, associations, etc. Now, go down the list and assess each name. Is this person going where you're going? Does this person want what you want? Do you aspire to be like them? Do they share your dreams and reflect your morals and ethics? Will they help you get to where you want to be, either personally or professionally or in service? 
If so, strengthen that relationship and make sure you are giving to them as much as you are getting. If not, strike them from the list and look to add new names in replacement. You cannot maintain connections with people that will hinder your ability to become great. And that is great advice from someone who knows something about fostering greatness. So if you want to have a better, deeper, more meaningful relationship, ask yourself, who has that type of relationship now? How can I spend more time with that person? Who can I meet who can positively influence me? Let their glow rub off on you. Befriend the person who you think is the biggest, baddest, most successful person in your field. What do they read? Where do they go for lunch? How can that association influence you? You can build these expanded associations by joining networking groups, Toastmasters, and similar organizations. Find the charity organizations, symphonies, country clubs where people you want to emulate gather. Now, I rave about Jim Rohn throughout this program because aside from my father, Jim remains my foremost mentor and influencer. My relationship with Jim perfectly exemplifies an expanded association. While I got to share a few private meals and spend a little time with him during our interviews and backstage before events, most of my time with Jim was spent listening to him in my car or reading his words in my living room. I have spent more than a thousand hours getting direct instruction from Jim, and 99% of that was through his books and audio programs. What's exciting about this is no matter where you are in your life, maybe busy at home with small children or caretaking aging parents, working long hours with people with whom you have little in common, or living out in the country far from the nearest office building, you too can have almost any mentor you want. If he or she has gathered their best thoughts, stories, and ideas into books, CDs, and DVDs, and podcasts, you have an unlimited bounty from which to draw. Take advantage of it. Another way to increase your exposure to expanded associations is by teaming up with a peak performance partner, someone as equally committed to study and personal growth as you. I mentioned this practice earlier in the plan, do, review, and improve section. This person should be someone you trust, someone bold enough to tell you what they really think about you, your attitudes, and your performance. It could be that this person is a longtime friend, but he or she may be someone who doesn't even know you well at all. The point is to get and give an unbiased, honest outside perspective. My current accountability partner is my good friend, Landon Taylor. Every Friday, we have a 30-minute call to discuss our weekly wins, losses, fixes, ahas, and where we are on our growth plans. As I mentioned before, the anticipation of that call and knowing that I have to be accountable to Landon keeps me extra committed throughout the week. Find a peak performance partner you can share your goals with and who will be strong enough to hold you firmly accountable to them. Invest in mentorship. Paul J. Meyer is another man who served as a mentor to me. Paul passed away in 2009 at age 81. Whenever I thought I was doing really big things, really playing at a high level, I'd get around Paul. He was my reality check. What he did before lunch was mind-boggling to me. I got to spend a lot of time with him. Paul bought one of my companies, and then I did a turnaround for one of his companies. He was a very powerful spirit in my life. After spending a couple hours with Paul, hearing about all his plans and ventures and activities, my head would spin. Just trying to make sense of all that he had going on exhausted me. After a time with Paul, I'd want to go home and take a nap. Have you ever been around a person like that? Just watching their energy exhaust you. But my association with him raised my game. His walking pace was my running pace. It expanded my ideas about how big I could play and how ambitious I could be. You have to get around people like that. You're never too good for a mentor. During my interview with Harvey McKay, he told me this. I have 20 coaches, if you can believe it. I have a speech coach. I have a writing coach. I have a humor coach. I've got a language coach and on and on. 
I've always found it interesting that the most successful people, the truly top performers, are the ones willing to hire and pay for the best coaches and trainers there are. I don't think that's an accident. It pays to invest in your improved performance. Finding and engaging a mentor doesn't need to be as mysterious or intimidating a process either. When I sat down with Ken Blanchard, he explained the simplicity of engaging a mentor. The first thing you want to remember with a mentor is that it doesn't need to take a lot of their time. He said the best advice I've ever gotten is in short clips. Having lunch or breakfast with somebody, just telling them what I was working on and asking their advice and all. You will be amazed how successful business people are willing to be mentors to people when it's not taking a lot of their time. John wouldn't reinforce the desire others have of being mentors as well. He said, mentoring is your true legacy. It is the greatest inheritance you can give to others, and it should never end. It is why you get up every day to teach and to be taught. He went on to explain that mentorship is also a two-way street. An individual needs to be open to being mentored. It is our responsibility to be willing to allow our lives and our minds to be touched, molded, and strengthened by the people who surround us. Be willing to pay for coaching. There's no better money spent than renting someone's brain and tapping their experience. Let me give you a huge bonus tip that I learned from Brian Tracy when I was only 19 years old, and it has fueled my entire personal development journey. Brian said, you want to take 10% of all you earn and use it to help other people. You want to take another 10% of all you earn and use it to help yourself by reinvesting in your own personal development. Brian taught the best financial investment you can ever make is in yourself. I thought, wow, that is a unique concept. So I did just that. When you're making $150,000 a year as a teenager, spending $15,000 on your personal development doesn't seem to be unreasonable. When you start earning half a million dollars a year or a million or several million, you can see how this 10% investment can get harder to do. But you absolutely want to do it as it was the fuel that got you there but it becomes a sizable chunk of change. I think this is why the very top performers amongst us are also the ones who hire and pay for the very best coaches. So I pass the challenge Brian gave to me now to you. Take 10% of all you earn and use it to help other people. Take another 10% and help yourself. Invest it into your continued personal development. Let me end our time together with a story that I like my friend Jack Canfield tells. I think it sums up all that we've discussed about you pursuing your dreams no matter what the world around you tells you. There is a man named Monty Roberts who owns a horse ranch in San Isidro. Standing before a group of people at a fundraising event, Monty tells the story of a young man who was the son of a roaming horse trainer who would go from stable to stable, racetrack to racetrack, farm to farm and ranch to ranch, training horses. As a result, the boy's high school career was continually interrupted. When he was a senior, he was asked to write a paper about what he wanted to be when he grew up. That night, he wrote a seven-page paper describing his goal of someday owning a horse ranch. He wrote about his dream in great detail and even drew a diagram of a 200-acre ranch showing the location of all the buildings, the stables, and the track. Then he drew a detailed floor plan with a 4,000-square-foot house that would sit on the 200-acre dream ranch. He put a great deal of his heart into the project, and the next day, he proudly handed it to the teacher. Two days later, he received his paper back. On the front of the page was a large red F with a note that read, see me after class. The boy with the dream went to see his teacher after class and asked, why did I receive an F? The teacher said, this is an unrealistic dream for a boy like you. You have no money. You come from a nomadic family. 
You have no resources. Owning a horse ranch requires lots of money. You have to buy the land, you have to pay for the original breeding stock, and later you'll have to pay large stud fees. There's no way you could ever do it. Then the teacher added, if you will rewrite this paper with a more realistic goal, I will reconsider your grade. The boy went home and thought about it long and hard. He asked his father what he should do. His father said, look, son, you have to make up your own mind on this. However, I think it's a very important decision for you. Finally, after sitting with it for a week, the boy turned in the same paper, making no changes at all. He said, you keep the F, I'll keep my dream. Monty then turned to the assembled group and said, I tell you this story because I am that boy and you are sitting in my 4,000 square foot ranch house in the middle of my 200 acre horse ranch. I still have that school paper framed over the fireplace. He added, the best part of the story is that two summers ago, that same school teacher brought 30 kids to camp out on my ranch for a week. When the teacher was leaving, he said, look, Monty, I can tell you this now. When I was your teacher, I was something of a dream stealer. During those years, I stole a lot of kids' dreams. Fortunately, you had enough gumption to not give up on yours. So, as you turn off this audio program and start your journey forward in the pursuit of your seemingly impossible and fantastic goals, don't let anyone steal your dreams. Keep your why power in your heart, stay steadfast in your commitment, and follow your dreams with reckless abandon. Starting now, go out and live the life you were meant to live.